Would you say it gave you the feeling you get when you fall in love? <laughs> Not with a girl or a boy, but with the heavens above. Yeah, I love sexy. Say yes. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the PPUK podcast and uh, this slightly different one this month just because things are a little different all over the world. We're having a bit of a group chat and we're inviting some more people on because uh, why not? Uh, This week we're going to do Love Sexy, I think is a a good one. It's the anniversary today. Love Sexy! Love Sexy! Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so in attendance we have as usual myself Chopin um, one of the regular on this podcast and also one of the London meetup we also have with us regularly Lee hi I'm back again and I'm not going to be in my element with, this, with an 80s album so I'm going to I'm going to be messing up a lot Exactly, and since me and Lee are kind of famously 90s guys, we've invited a couple of the the big 80s fans, and I have to say, and we have Freedom here. Hello, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and just give yourself an introduction of how you fit in with the whole Prince scene. And Oh, God, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> um, freedom. Um, also known as the Dawn Experience. Um, I got into Prince at uh, 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 1999, video 1999 album. It's way back in 1982, and um, everything followed from there, really. Um, that's what I'm going to tell you now, right now, because uh, I'll yeah. probably go on for days. So. Okay. Yeah. It'll be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> exactly. The freedom experience. We've yeah. got a whole podcast and your involvement in the scene. And also, uh, another somebody who's been very instrumental in converting me and making me appreciate a little bit more some of the 80s albums is Andy. And he told us about your history with Prince and the scene. Sure. I well, I'm 46 years old, and I've been listening to Prince uh, religiously since I was 13. So that's 33 good years of funky music. Uh, I'm definitely all about the 80s, but there is a reciprocal arrangement with me and Chopin where he does get me into the 90s and beyond, and make me uh, respect that some of those albums a bit more than I tend to do immediately. But I'm. My, my uh, I'm wedded to the 80s, so I'm really happy to be talking about Love Sexy today because it's a massively, massively instrumental album for me. I think this is one of the, um, just as in general, this is one of the 80s albums that you didn't need to kind of, I mean, I, I get, I've always kind of loved the whole journey, but this is one of the 80s albums that I have to say on its own merits floored me on first listen. Um, it was so different than everything I was listening to with, um, Diamonds and Pearls and Symbol and it was just before the hits came out I had somebody gave me a cassette copy of Love Sexy and I just like I've never heard music like this it's that's, that's really funny because although I'm all about the 80s when Love Sexy first came out I could not make head or tail of it and it was the f- it was the first Prince album that I waited for because I'd got I got into him with Sign of the Times 
I saw the Sign of the Times single video on Top of the Pops and I would record everything on Top of the Pops. And halfway through the song, if I decided I didn't like it, I'd stop the VHS and rewind for the next track. And if I liked it, I'd carry on recording. And with Sign of the Times, just those words on the screen and that music, I, right, this one's a keeper. And then I played that song about 45 times on the bounce, you know? So Sign of the Times is where I got into Prince, but Love Sexy was the first uh, album I was waiting for, having devoured the actual album, Sign of the Times by that. And then yeah. I got it, and Alphabet Street is a no-brainer. It's instant, yeah. And it's yeah. magnificent, and you can't do anything but surrender. But I was... I, I, that's my opening gambit, is that I thought Love Sexy was just Alphabet Street, anesthesia, and a whole lot of noise I couldn't understand, and it took me a while. I'm glad you said that. You make me feel better now as a 90s fan, because I was exactly the same going back and doing the homework. Uh-huh. So I'm glad you said that. <laughs> but, but, I, but yeah, I'd like to hear how everyone else got into it too. Well, I had to go back and listen to it as, as uh, my Prince homework, because obviously I got into Prince, Batman album, and then Diamonds and Pearls, and kind of skipped Graffiti Bridge. So I've basically, I kind of knew all the singles, but I had to go back and listen to the album and, and do my homework. And the thing is, I, I listen to it and I just hear other later Prince tracks in it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's it, it, I'm still trying to figure the album out, I think, still. Oh, wow. That's, it's, it's weird when you've got into an artist and then you, and you think you know who they are and then but you've, got, you've got to go back and look at their back catalogue and you go, they came from here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly that. Uh, what about you, Freedom? What did you think of Love Sexy on first go? Well, um, like you, um, when I bought 1999 album, I didn't get it at first. So it took me a while to really get into it. Uh, it wasn't until Purple Rain came out that I went back to the 1999 album and I, I understood it. But um, the 80s for me, each album that Prince brought out was different. You know, he, he, he went on to a different style. 1999 was completely different to Purple Rain, which was completely different to Around the Rolling of the Day, which was completely different to Under the Cherry Moon, which was completely different to Love Sexy. But after Love Sexy, he started following trends, I think. With Batman, <laughs> look at Chopin. <laughs> I can see your face. I love the fact we've got the video on this. We can see his response. He started to, instead of inventing, being inventive and being different, he started to follow trains. He started to go into rap yeah. and etc. Um, yeah. etc. Et so, um, love sexy. That was a trip. It wasn't a music to me. It was just a complete trip. And I love the way it, it was all like one track that you couldn't skip track when you listened to it on the CD. Um, yeah, that was the that's the thing that I've kind of found out recently because people were talking. I put a post up about the um, the album anniversary today, and people were complaining that on Spotify it's not split into tracks; it's the whole right. thing on its own, which is like how the CD was, which I, I, I didn't know until recently. I, lo- I loved that. I, I loved that, but it made it. St- it you know, I, I knew that I knew there was something going on with this record, and I wasn't going to just give up on it, but it. For me, it was a case of finding moments to enjoy in it and linking them together. And it, I, had, I had nothing out of I Know and Glam Slam. And the first, like I said, 
the only other song that started to register with me was Anastasia because it was just spine chilling and straight to the emotion. Oh God. Yeah. And, and I mean that one I played and played, but it, to me it was like a case of piecing together little stepping stones from the whole album. And eventually, well, I say eventually, it must've been about a week and a half later. You know, <laughs> it was, I, I was obsessed. This was the album. Once I got it, once it went into me, this was the album that turned me from a, you know, a really big Prince fan into somebody who wouldn't shut up about it for the next 33 years and counting. <laughs> and still going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I got a similar thing as well. It's like, cause I was, like I said, I loved Diamonds and Pearls and I loved Symbol. And I was like, this guy, you know, this guy's amazing. And I was already pretty much on the road to being like a fan, like a real, he like as, you know, he was kind of, he was suddenly becoming as almost as big as Madonna was like pre-listening to him in my life. And that was quite, you know, as everyone knows, that knows me is quite high up there. But when I heard Love Sexy, it was just like, because before it was just, there was grooves, it was nasty. It was, um, and even with, even with Symbol, there was real emotional points towards the end with Sacrifice of Victor and stuff. But when I heard Love Sexy, it just spoke to a very, very different part of me that was just, I think, so deep that it was just locked in that super fan was, you know, you know like kind of obsessive, but was kind of linked to it. Would you say it gave you the feeling you get when you fall in love? <laughs> Not with a girl or a boy, but with the heavens above. Yeah, love sexy. Say yes. <laughs> I think but it's it's funny because it, it was the one where a lot of people, um, whether they liked or loved Prince already, I guess it was probably a watershed for a lot of folks. It was like, how far are you going to follow him? Because if you got Love Sexy, you got him, you know, the only word is you got Prince religiously. Really. Mm. You know, but correct was, me if I'm wrong, it wasn't as popular as Sign of the Times, was it? I think it, like the no, Billboard charts, yeah. Especially in America, it wasn't. Popular. I think it was as big in Europe. I think it was as big in Europe, but not in America. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Part of that is because they couldn't, Walmart were threatening not to show the cover. So it wasn't out on display in the same way. I don't know if that's actually. That was part of it. Yeah. 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 But, but Sign of the Times will always be, and I think correctly, the album that gets the most, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the golden boy of them all. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can put up others against it. You can put 99 up against it, 1999 up against it in a way. But Sign of the Times was so... Sign of the Times was a hit with the critics, even if it didn't sell, like yeah. Prince had once sold. But Love Sexy was another split again. Love Sexy was, you know, a lot of critics really loved it, but it was, it was, another, it was another deeper way into Prince that was more rarefied again. I think it's a, actually, weirdly enough, I actually think it's a deeper, more personal statement than Sign of the Times and more sonically adventurous as well. But that's not to kind of demote Sign of the Times. It's a classic. I mean, like, every time we talk about, like, kind of favorites and stuff like that, I mean, even Prince's worst output is still kind of worthy of note. So, but Love Sexy, I find a much deeper personal i don't know if it's just more personal. yeah it's much yeah. more personal as a statement and yeah. also sonically a bit more adventurous i sort of would split hairs a bit really i mean sign of the times is more encyclopedic and yeah. love, love sexy is i mean love sexy is more of a kind of um 
it, it's more kind of pointed in one direction. And it's a very, you know, it's a very unusual direction. Nothing sounds like love sexy, and yeah. that's great. I mean, yeah. Actually, that's an interesting point. Have you ever heard another album by another artist that sounds like Love Sexy? Absolutely not. No, no, no. No. Only Prince could do that album, I think. Nobody else, no other artist can do it. It's, yeah, it's a unique filter of influences that ends up in that place. But but Mm. it's also, I was thinking about this prior to this discussion today, it's the first uh, post-revolution album that doesn't have any revolution influence in it and i don't just mean the personnel on the album but like sign of the times uh it it still had a lot of um kind of arrangement ideas that were uh sort of had grown out of the revolution days even if it didn't have the revolution on it for well there's some of the stuff yeah there's some of the stuff that just has the revolution on it you know like live biking uh live backing but yeah, but even when it doesn't, you can you can sort of hear that it's mm. it's getting away from the revolution, but you can see where it came from. And then Love Sexy seems to be a further abstraction into Prince's world, into Prince's head. And mm. that's, you know, that's why it's so personal, I think. Doing my homework as a, as a 90s fan, it was like I could hear, as I said before, I could hear other tracks. So when I was listening to Dance On, I felt like I was listening to Loose. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. 16th, 16th note, like, yeah, it's a 16th note kind of, but, but to me, as not a big, as big a fan of that era, loose is good. I like loose, but but loose sounds like Prince trying to do rave, whereas dance on sounds like Prince forging his own path into, you know, nothing sounds like dance on, but loose sounds like other things to me. That that's the difference, but mm-hmm. also he definitely reused the melody of um, "I Know" a few times in his career. "I Know" is basically the melody of the uh, Return of the Bump Squad. Oh, now I'm going to have to go back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Which part, like the chorus bit? Or the... If you think about the verse, "I know there is a heaven," I know it's so close to Return of the Bump Squad. I don't hear it. Thank you, Andy. And I've got I've got more Prince homework to do now. <laughs> there's always more Prince homework. To do. <laughs> there's always more Prince homework. That that should be a T-shirt. There should always be more Prince homework. There's there's a new T-shirt design. It's for more us. phrasing than key, right? That you're Definitely. talking about. It's kind of phrasing like da 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 da. Yeah, it, it's a kind of template for feel and phrasing. Yeah, it's kind of bouncy. That's uh, a solid background. Okay, and I'm sure that I'm sure there's other um, uh, other melodies. He's sort of re like Cindy C is kind of like a straighter version of that melody too, or a less yeah. a less swung version of I know. And X's face and Cindy C are really close, and I think they all grow out of like. Well, of course, I know grew out of the ball as well, which is yeah. that's the original melody. Sign right? of a, was a potent, which was a potential for Sign of the Times or Crystal Ball at the time. Fantastic song. Yeah, um, and it's it's um, I think it's amazing sometimes where he could, the way he reuses ideas and then they just come in, back in. I mean, like things like Love, Sexy spawns something like Raven to the Joy, Fantastic, which isn't even uh, doesn't even come back for another ten years. Yeah, yeah and just, uh, I mean, I well, wasn't that going to be the follow up album after Love, Sexy instead of Batman? Yeah. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Raven to the Joy, Fantastic was meant to be 
was kind of like because he was recording stuff like Elephants and Flowers mm. on tour, and then it kind of just and. I, I love that Prince can get so many different effects out of uh, one idea sometimes. Like, you know, the drum beat for uh, Housequake is kind of shared with um, Super Funky Califragisexy, is kind of shared with, oh, sorry, is it shared with Super Funky? It, Housequake is basically shared with Bob George. Yeah. And yeah. And at least one other song that I'm forgetting now, like that. One version of that or another is used to make all these different feels. And I feel like I know is a, yeah. a melody or a kind of phrasing he returns to quite a bit afterwards. Well, I mean, do a, like, sorry. Do a, do a Prince Tree song where you do a song and how it trees off in oh, link God. it to link it to other songs. There you go, there's more Prince homework. If you, if you include the outtakes, it's kind of amazing the way that songs kind of grows. Like you have something like nine to five people, which is a outtake from about eighty seven, eighty eight that are, um then becomes Dance with Power, uh which is a Batman outtake. And then finally uh, um becomes back which back dance of power which kind of elements of that become uh back dance so it's interesting how you know it takes sometimes takes two or three versions of a song for it to actually get out there I, I, the am, I, am i pulling you off of love sex here a bit too much like, <laughs> yeah. going of course like <laughs> bring it back yeah <laughs> it's true anyway But love sexy is um, like love sexy is an interesting branch that leads into very like like you say Lee is like you can hear its influence. Yeah, especially me going back, I was like I could hear other songs from from that if that made sense. As an album in its totality, it also always to me obviously it's got a dark twin in the shape of the black album, which is amazing that. They've, and they, it revolve, you know, they're connected by when two are in love, which is the common track. So that's like a double helix around that song. So that's interesting. But I also always have always seen like Love Sexy as a kind of electronica abstraction of Around the World in a Day, the album, because they're both they're both nine tracks uh, albums. They're both really religious. Uh, well, actually, I mean, love sexy more than around yeah. the world. But around the world's, you know, around the world's got lots of religion in it. The ladder, yeah, yeah. 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 And they, they, to me, they seem like, like obviously, around the world is a band effort, and it's much more organic. And by Prince's standards, it's a real organic album. Whereas love sexy is the move away from that. But it, it seems like a kind of translation of around the world into this new kind of electronic abstraction. They're both reactions to the previous album as well. Uh-huh. Around the World in the Day is a, is a reaction of going completely upset from Purple Rain, yeah. whereas Love Sexy is a reaction to going in too, too far into One Direction with the Black Album. So it seems yeah, like these, right. these sparks of inspirations are about hitting the dead end and, uh, dead end and going and reacting to going down. Almost the doing the reverse of that. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. like rebirths, aren't they? And yeah. love, I mean, definitely with Love Sexy, you know, you just have to look at the, um, I know we're going to talk about the concerts in a bit, but you look at him on tour and he was 
he looked like a man reborn. He had such, such passion in, in those performances. And he, he looked like a manic, not street preacher, but a manic preacher. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting with the tour that you mentioned the tour and the way he performs the tour, because I actually had the tour video before I heard the album. So kind of maybe that's why the album didn't sound so uh, strange to me is that I knew half, like Alphabet Street, obviously I knew my brother had the seven inch of Alphabet and the street and I'd listened to that quite a few times. And quite a few of the songs, I heard the live arrangements first before I heard the album. Did, um, one of the things I found out about Love Sexy recently, you might know this, and I didn't know it until a non-Prince fan hit me to this a year or so back, was that, you know the opening segment with all that beautiful ambient music uh, swirling in the background that then, you know, then Ingrid Chavez comes in and Prince testifies the reason my, brain, uh, my voice is so clear. You, you know that whole piece of music is one, one big sample taken off a sound effects album? Didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. No. Isn't that amazing? And it's, it's, I, I was just looking it up before I came here today. It's, it's called... Sorry? Was it that Delia Derbyshire? No, it's an album called uh, it's it's an album called Out of This World by Roger Lim, and I think it was like uh, it's from 1976. The track that Prince uses for all that ambient texture is called Passing Clouds, oh. and it's just a straight he just straight plays it for like a minute and a half. And the amazing thing to me is when I found that out, like um, about 32 years after I listened to Love Sexy, it didn't diminish it at all. It just, oh. made it, it just made it even more amazing to me that because it's from like a BBC Audiophonics Workshop album. Is that the kind of bit where we're seeing uh, where like the flowers are coming up and a light shines and... and uh, on, the actual, on, the on the actual album. album. On the actual album. Oh, yeah, like yeah. this lot when like rain is wet, sugar it's, is sweet. The, the, the entire like minute, first minute and a half is bedded on just a playthrough of this BBC Audiophonics Workshop sound effects or, or soundscapes album and, <laughs> and it just it to me it's just amazing that prince was like he was always going deeper than you know even yes. you know you don't you don't think of prince as sampling stuff much around that time but he was yeah and and that's quite a deep kind of like it's i mean i i don't know I don't know many kind of like American musicians that are kind of really hit to the BBC Radio Phonic Workshop, but British people kind of tend to, it's heard as a reference because it's, you hear it so much because you watch the BBC. That's exactly what knocked me out about it, just how yeah. eclectic it is. The print, to think of Prince rifling through those, you know, he must have had stacks of old wax. And yeah, I was just about to, how did he find that? <laughs> <laughs> because he was a sponge as well as everything yeah. else. Maybe that's why one of the keys to why it did so well in Europe versus America as well. True. I just think it was. Yeah, I don't know why. I think. I think. I think it was just the way Prince's fan base was going. He'd taken it. He'd given America a, a straight down the line, irresistible um, rock. No pun intended. No <laughs> pun intended. Irresistible uh, rock heroics with Purple Rain, and then he immediately just went left field yeah. and isolated. That isolated America rock and roll radio for the most part, and we just embraced it more in Europe, didn't we? Mm, so, Freedom, having been used to the twists and turns of like each new album is 
like really new silent times being different to break when you first heard love sexy like what did you think of this particular turn was this just more of the greatness or was it was it odd oh by that time i was used to it really i was used to it um each having being different so for me I, i was i was used to it and I liked it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I liked it. I like the way he, he, each album is completely different from the last album. And that, that really sort of like what, what turns me on about Prince. Yeah. Back then. But um, yeah, in the 90s, it wasn't so much. In the 90s, I mean, all albums started to sound a bit uh, not, um, not um, as adventurous. But did you find it? I mean, I. I like, although I found it difficult at first, I liked yeah. that it was difficult because it, it was demanding. And I, and I like stuff that takes time to open up sometimes. Exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, there were, with lots of subsequent prints, I was like, yeah, I know what this is. This is, I, I know this. And, it's, and there's been lots of, lots of post-80s prints. And yes, I do like lots of post-80s prints, but... There's been lots of it where I'm like, I get this immediately, and I know it's, I know it's not going to get more complex on the second taste or the fiftieth taste. Yeah, and yeah, I have I mean, been proved wrong. I have been proved wrong, but with something like Love Sexy, I just knew it just became more and more interesting for me. Love Sexy, it's more. I, I will, I will agree with you on that. But Love Sexy, it's more obviously there's more to hear than you think, and I think, and then especially things like. Uh, a symbol which I think just feels like a groovy cacophony that uh, it just so happened that I was really in for it. I was really here for a groovy cacophony of sounds when I first heard it. But uh, Love Sexy is one of those things where, especially things like positivity, you've got like different things going off in different keys and, you know, the lyrics are a lot more cryptic in some parts than, say, something like damn you or sweet baby which is quite clear what it's saying you know love sexy is much more cryptic glam slam is much more cryptic the thing love sexy felt like a whole rubik's cube to keep solving and part of that i like that analogy yeah it's all connected description Every part is connected to every other part and the fact that it was one endless track because i had it on cd um, you know, made it all the more so. Uh, but that's one thing about Prince is that he always respected the the, the concept of an album that it's not just an al- tracks that you skip. You have to listen to the whole experience. He always respected the concept of an album. But there are other albums that, to me, sound uh, you know post eighties. They sound like a group of songs. I'm I'm oh, not true. saying he wasn't thinking about sequencing because he clearly was. But there there you know there there are albums that sound like a nice bunch of songs to me but like sign of the times is an incredible patchwork but but it, it, it is a bunch that sign of the times is an amazing bunch of songs amazingly sequenced and we know that it came out of other projects um but but the, the material is so strong that everything sort of hangs together or or it, one song comments on another or then he does a u-turn on you and it feels like a coherent thing but but love sexy is a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, 
love, love sexy is a statement of intent from start to finish, really. I, I would put it this way, Sign of the Times, you could mix the songs up and create a different play, a play, uh, different tracking order, and it would still work as a, a good album. Because when you listen to Crystal Ball, which is some of the same songs in a different album, it would still sound like a good album. Whereas if Love, Love Sexy just, can, in my head, can only exist in that way. Order. In that yeah. order. It, the, the, they move, like, because when I was first, like I said, I was listening to it on cassette, and to me it was like Anastasia wasn't a great song. It was a great high in the musical movement. You know, like, in, uh, they get you love that part of the classical movement. Definitely. It's like, and it's it's so weird that it, even though I'd heard it as a standalone song in in this album, it sounded, you know, it sounded kind of different in that it just the way that those um, those orchestral synth parts at the end of Glam Slam going like, and that piano dun, 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 comes out of it. It's just like. I can't imagine that coming after I Wish You Heaven or, you know, positivity. It's just like, from start to finish, it's got a great opener to the album. It's got an epic closer. I think possibly my second favorite closer to a Prince album. What's your favorite closer? Uh, the harmony parts in Symbol, The Sacrifice of Victor, huh. I think is... is the best but love sexy is a very close second and dependent on the day <laughs> before this chat sorry before this chat i was just looking at the different configurations as research and it doesn't change that much from 21st of january 1988 till february 1988 hardly changes the the line was on it in 21st yeah. january that's pretty unusual for Prince, I think. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly. Going back to your points about how it, you can't change the order of it. And they're almost, they're almost in the order that uh, I think there's a one or two songs that aren't in there, in the, but they were all they're there in the order that they were recorded. Almost all of them. Mm. Yeah, like with, yeah, like it's, it's pretty incredible. I think that's incredible to do an album in two months like that. That quality is just, it's just amazing. It's, it's totally amazing. I mean, well, uh, oh, now I've got goosebumps. I can't talk for goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a man possessed. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a man possessed by an idea. Yeah. But only him could yeah. do that. I always think there's something, again, on um, the album Love Sexy, which I think it, it, it felt like it was a boiling down of all of those um, big flamboyant, uh, organic sounds that had come before that the revolution took to the to their yes. natural conclusion, and and it was like a stripping down to where a point where you would get songs that are like are songs that were kind of just linear grooves, like canvases, long thin canvases that Prince would just riff on. So like yeah. Alphabet Street starts off as this perfect three and a half pop, uh, minute pop song, but then on the album you get the extended mm -hmm. version where it's just like the rest of it is just like keep rolling the tape and just yeah. doodle on it. And then Love Sexy does a similar thing. And then Positivity is start to finish, just one unspooling canvas. I feel I mean, like he went really linear on this album. With the way he can kind of work off of a small idea and like just a small little groove that he can just develop i think it's quite clear in things like like get off and cream maxi singles that's i think where it's quite clear 
how amazing he is doing that. Well, it's like he would always do that on the 12 inches, but like lo- on, but on Love Sexy, he kind of, it, it's like we don't even need 12 inches for this. The album is full of kind of what might have been 12 inch mixes, really. Yeah. Like the, the album is just going to keep unspooling these long, long songs that are just going to, yeah. yeah, they're essentially 12 inch mixes, Love Sexy, Alphabet Street, and maybe Positivity. And that, but they, but they just work as album tracks in this vision. Yeah. And Glam Slam, the way that they get that outro oh, as well. I mean, just like, just keeping that as part of the, tra- uh, just keeping that as part of the tracking, I think. That- oh, the, the whole second, that's right. The whole second half of Glam Slam with the, Basically, a string symphony in two minutes is fantastic. I remember the first time I heard that, and it was just like that. That was something that 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 was one of the pieces that started falling into place for me. But up until it, like a lot of the melodies were very uh, obtuse on Love Sexy on the first few listens. It was like, where are the tunes, dude? Where are the tunes? Well, now I know where the tunes are. You just have to tune in. Is that the reason why there's only like three singles from the album? Was it just that he wanted it to be an album experience? I, I mean, there's just, it's just it's not a singles album, is it? It's just not. No. An album. Uh, I don't. It happened I, to have a great single. Yeah, I mean, it was all. Uh, oh god, I mean, yeah, it's got a great single. And I was reading somewhere recently that he considered Glam Slam a mistake as a single, and he tried to pull it about just a few days before it was released as a single, and I can understand that. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I love Glam Slam, but I can, it, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not typical big singles material, really. What would be, I mean, what would be the single, like, say I was, um, I Wish You Haven't Used the Third, Alphabet Street is the first. What would you pick for the second? I might, I might go dance on, but... That's out there. I mean, I, 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 or I might just say there should have only been two singles from it. Maybe it's just not. I'd, a probably, I'd, I'd probably go for the title track, "Love Sexy," uh-huh. as a single. Well, mm. it was I mean, definitely remixed. It? There's that tantalising few seconds of what sounds like the most unbelievable remix ever, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. And I think it was on the um, ten-minute documentary "Prince: A Musical Portrait," where you yeah. just hear like five seconds of this unbelievable love sexy remix and if i could have one track like land in my lap right now i think i'd like that yeah. <laughs> princess day <laughs> <laughs> we keep dropping hints i think an edit of love sexy could have been a great single maybe mm. yeah, it's probably not a good idea on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> when tour in love would be a nice little ballad single yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't know. I mean, the, as an album, I, it's not. It's not a mainstream album, and it didn't have a lot of mainstream songs on it. Ultimately, I think. Yeah. Um, well, the way in which the way in which Alphabet Street got a video is is not conventional either. Like him just going, no, nah, I'm not going to make a video for it. Then just deciding one night, all right, I'll get a local TV crew like that does like you know local news. And we'll we'll get them into Paisley Park, and just shoot with kind of green screen and 
budget video <laughs> effects. Like, to be quite honest, this Zoom chat probably has better effects than the Alphabet Street video. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Alphabet Street video. I think it's <laughs> I love the, 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 the hidden message. Yeah. Sorry, freedom. I love the hidden message. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. don't buy the black album. But, but also, like the, the Alphabet. I mean, I, are we onto singles now? Kind of. At the Alphabet Street video is um, it's so unashamedly chintzy and kitsch, and I and I and it's so unashamedly budget. But it's like. If you wanted to see anyone do, doing budget, it would be Prince, wouldn't it? Because the music's not budget. The music is top bloody notch. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. He somehow managed to make an incredible video that could so easily... Like, it looked kind of like his version of DIY punk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, it wasn't, like, tacky... You know, like, it could so easily be really tacky, but it's not. It's, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of like beyond tacky, really. It's just so, it's just so good. It's so, I mean, it, it's, it just didn't, again, it doesn't feel like anything else. It just felt, fr it felt really fresh. Mm. At, the time when, at the time when everything was really slick. You know, oh, but, yeah. but like so often Prince was like that in the 80s where it was like everybody else was going one way and Prince was just like, well, I'm accidentally going to pull this masterpiece out, you know, and do it my way. And you go, sure, why not? That's unbelievable. I remember seeing the video first time and I thought it was early 80s. I didn't think it was later 80s when I uh -huh. first saw it. Why did he leave the G? Uh, you know, at the end, we're going for the letters of the alphabet, he left the G out. You know that bit? Wow, well, yeah. there's, theory, there's theories, isn't there, Freedom, you naughty boy? Well, isn't it? Isn't it the? Uh, it's from the, at the time the kind of Cosmo advice that was really always being put around at the time. I think is part of it being Alphabet Street is innuendo, isn't it? That it's like when you're going down, you do write the alphabet with your tongue. Cunnilingus. Uh, when you're doing cunnilingus, you do the alphabet with your tongue, and G would be this. Uh, I get it. What would G be in that size? Heavy? A, when, when she's going A, B, C, D. <laughs> There's a couple of stories. One is that, um, cat, like, Cat was, Prince was kissing Cat in the studio at that point, and she just got distracted and she forgot the G, which is a typical <laughs> typical Prince story. Like, he's so powerful, he can, you know, he can derail. Like you forget the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's got to be some kiss, right? Or uh, there's all, I, I saw, again, I, um, I saw a story online the other day that where Prince, I think, had claimed that, well, the song is already in G, it's in the key of G, so you don't need to mention G, that's already in the music, which I love that idea. Oh, I like that idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What did you learn from our podcast today? Well, I learned. <laughs> I learned about kind of lingers. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I mean, that's the first line is I'm going down to Alphabet Street. Uh -huh. yeah. and, and, and in the 80s, in, like, in and definitely in like, those Dr. Ruth things, it's like, well, the way that you do it, and Cosmo, the, the whole thing, they'd always present, well, the secret to doing it is write the alphabet, you know. And I think, I think there was some comedian who did a routine where he said he would spell out Tennessee when he was going down. Oh, 
It's so funny. Just by chance, I happened to be reading this article before I knew you guys were going to ask me onto this podcast. Just a few days ago, I was reading uh, this article on Love Sexy where I heard a bunch of stuff I haven't heard before. And one of mm. the, I, I don't know uh, the truth behind all of these things, but the idea that Prince was paying a nod to this comedy routine about Tennessee being spelled yeah. out. I never heard that before. I'm not going to be able to listen to this song again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, think a lot of listeners are going to be listening to this song more, Lee. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So either way with that, pal. Yeah, education. It's just the fact I'm on YouTube now. I've got to click not for children now. <laughs> now run and tell your mum about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are going to analyse the lyrics a lot more now. Yeah. I mean, um, mileage may vary according on your relationship with your mother. Maybe don't tell her everything. About yeah. <laughs> well, um, there's a, a, another thing about uh, the way the tracks are sequenced and not, you know, not being in any other order is the segue between I Know and Alphabet Street is so, so full of Seamless. details. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at a transcription of all the, uh, the talking in the background for, for that segue, it's there's so much information in yeah. there. There's so many lines. Like some would jump out at me. Like my name's Audrey Crabtree. I got more holes than a golf course. But somewhere online, I think it's print. Uh, I, there used to be a Prince lyrics database where I guess they'd done a lot of li close listening and stripping away frequencies to get lyrics. If you can find it online still, it's it's like he wrote practically a novella in between those two songs. There's so many. There's so many different overlapping lines of dialogue. Well, it's 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 interesting because he'd done a similar thing with uh, um on the Black Album with Two Nicks United for West Compton. Absolutely. You know, like, you, know, like uh, um, you see these pumps. Um, yeah. But this is, I mean, weird enough. This this chatter predates that. Um, even though it's on the Love Sexy album, it was originally on the. Because it was the segue between the ball and I think join repetition, like on the on the original tracking of Crystal Ball, like so you'd have the and come on to the Crystal Ball, and then you'd have the Angie Crabtree and and then that goes into the chatter at the start of join repetition. There's there's so much chatter. It's like to see it transcribed yeah. is amazing because just Prince was brilliant at. All at programming those party scenes and noise, uh, party scenes and dialogues into tracks. Like yeah. he did it all over the place with Vanity and Apollonia. He did it with the Time. He did it. You know, he was writing comedy skits. Yeah, in much more yeah. intricate ways than most. You know, when when skits became a thing on hip hop albums, yeah, and to be really pulled out of the rest of what's going on, they they're standalone things. And Prince yeah. would weave them into musical soundscapes. Which, I think uh, Exodus is a prime example of that. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Like, That's one thing I always enjoyed about his albums is the skits. And with the Vanessa Bartholomew's and symbol. Yeah. You know, like, it's... You know, there's a lot of throwaway stuff in there, but also at the same time, if you're obsessed with Prince, which this is one of the ways he obsesses you, is by putting these details in and you go... What, do, what does that even mean? Like, there's a, what does that line mean? My name's Andre Crabtree, I've got more. Who is Andre Crabtree? And you get into these, you get into these throwaway lines, which are there for Prince to hook, hook you in and get you really listening. 
I bet like Jamie Starr and everything, I bet you somewhere in the vault there's an uh, Andre Crabtree album that Prince did. Like, it's a pseudonym. <laughs> well, you're an optimist, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he just wrote that much that probably, the likelihood. <laughs> I do, I do, I do, it blows me away that he would not only compose this music, play this music, produce this music, but he would then stitch together so much sort of extra, extra, extra detail. Mm. You just don't know where the song starts and where the detail ends. And like, again, one of the things that's kept me listening to Prince for decades and decades to come, I'm sure, is I will still hear new things. I will still hear things 25 years into listening to a track that I didn't know were there. Yeah, Anastasia is a prime example of that. That sounds like a simple song, but it's not. You know, there's like, you know, like, there's so many little, like, brushes and synth kind of counter lines and stuff yeah uh, on positivity it took me it took me a couple of years until i heard prince buried so deep into the mix just going say it again do you know the bit i'm talking oh, about i love that bit and, and it like oh, you, you really won't get it unless you listen to it very carefully on headphones i think and when you do you just go whoa there's e how, how did he even have the time to program this much information into one song? Yeah. And then he does it again and again and again and again. You, ju- you, go, you just hear a drum that is just tuned differently. Yeah. It was pretty good, wasn't he, Prince? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so always learning. Before the album, did you hear... The- Alphabet Street as a single, because like moving on to the singles, did you have the the single, the twelve inch versions or anything before you heard the album, or did was were you cold listen to the album, not knowing what to expect? Oh, I had the single. Yeah, the single came out before the album, didn't it? So we had the single first. Yeah, Alphabet Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even before you got to the video, like you were confronted with a whole new font, because back in the day, Prince always had the coolest fonts. Yeah, and love fonts. Yeah. Love fonts. Well, the old package of the album was cool. The, yeah. Well, the, sing- the single package was unbelievable, right? Just this piece Just of... Just a clear, clear C with a sticker on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was such a simple idea, but I never saw anyone else do it. I just never saw anyone else do it before Prince did it. You would like just getting something where Prince had just gone, oh, by the way, I'm just going to do... I'm just going to make a simple change from everybody else's convention, and it's and it's just going to make it's just going to draw you in. You're just going to go. This is a new adventure, and Prince is just like he's just changed the rules again with this one move of this bizarre sleeve. And it's the first one I think. The apart from there was one CD promo in Sign of the Times, but this was the first time he had the CD singles. These are the first CD singles as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that alphabet street. So, did you guys were you guys still like just buying the seven inches, or were you guys like buying the twelve inches when they came out, or CD singles? I never bought seven inches. I was with a twelve inch person or a CD person, but I've never never bought seven inches. I was buying everything uh, I had my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> like a typical <laughs> Prince fan. <laughs> So you got the cassette, the CD, the seven inch, and the twelve inch. Yeah, because I think I think if I remember right, I haven't listened to it for a long time. But the seven inch B side is a kind of edited slice of the second half of 
Alphabet Street, isn't it? So like that was a that was a thing in its own right, even though yeah. it's not something I'd return to. It was an artifact. Uh, he'd done it. It was kind of like our, um, I think it was a, like homage to those James Brown things, where the album track was like six minutes or whatever, but the A side and the B side would just be the song cut in half, so part one, part two. I think this was like Alphabet Street Part One, Alphabet Street Continued. It seemed like an homage to that whole James Brown jams thing. Yeah, I'd buy that. And it's also got some sort of, like, kind of uh, crossover with something like, um, you know, Jamaican dub or something, where the B-side is a kind of continuation or a different aspect of the A-side, right? Yeah. And if and this, this, there's some kind of fascinating stuff on Seven Inches over the time because, like, Thieves in the Temple, that they've got that little part two jam. Yeah, you get these weird offcuts. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I think I think you know the tw- the twelve inch had the more interesting artifact on it, did it not, Freedom? It did. Yeah, that's why I bought. <laughs> that's why I got the twelve inch. It's more interesting than the seven inch, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, that's right. So when you heard that 12-inch mix, that this is not music, this is a trip, do you remember first listening? I was freaking out. <laughs> I was freaking out. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. A lot better than the 7-inch because it's like half a song. The single is just half a song. Whereas the 12-inch is the full, the full song. I think how Prince intended to sort of listeners to hear the full version rather than half a version, in my opinion. So yeah, yeah. 12 inches, but a lot better to me than 7 inches. It's a great 12 inch, isn't it? I mean, that line, this is not music, this is a trip, is it's almost a trip. like a manifesto for the whole album to come, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I kind of think me and Lee are having, not being kind of anticipate, having that single beforehand or anticipating it leading into an album in the same way. There's something, when I hear that 12 inch for the first time, I've already heard, the album so this is like this fits totally it's just an extension uh, like it really I got a like quite this is extension to the same thing this is fantastic and I didn't know if that was like did it whet your appetite or was it like a what the hell is this no no I couldn't wait for the album to come out quite the opposite it it whetted my appetite and I couldn't wait for the album to come out and I was first in the queue a, a and B side of that 12-inch were both just like, yes, I cannot get enough of this. And that's why when I got the album and I just was like, whoa, I'm going to have to work for this. That was, you know, it was worth it in the end. It, it, you, just, you just had to know more about this new direction. Yeah. 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 Love it. It, um, I wish you heaven, Scarlet Pussy, on the yeah. B side. Yeah, on the B side. Yeah, that was something else. That was... Oh, man. The, uh, the whole, I wish, like, because I, somebody had given me uh, a cassette with, like, a compilation of print stuff, and that was what kind of uh, connected, like, connected the dots for me. Like, I, that I'd loved all of these songs over the years. I'd loved Alphabet. My brother had all, a lot of Seven Inches and stuff, and Alphabet Street I loved. That Dance I loved. Pie Man I loved. Uh, Thieves in the Temple I love When Doves Cry and, and it was just like I didn't for some reason and I was really into music for some reason I didn't connect the dots and realise they were from the same guy mm-hmm. and like I was like I was reading like music magazines all the time and for some reason it took me a long 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 time to kind of 
put it all together. And when I did, somebody said, oh, yeah, like, basically, like, oh, so you're finally a Prince fan now. You you get it. Like, and... Initiation. Gave, <laughs> appreciation. And on that tape was, uh, Scarlet Pussy was on that tape, as long as, or, as well as Erotic City. So I thought Erotic City and Scarlet Pussy were, like, around the same time. So when I finally got into getting the 12 inches and realized where it sat, like, done the research and where it sat, I was kind of like... Yeah, that's the fun of re- of having to learn where the artist came from because all of your hypotheses are totally changing all the time. And you go, mm. oh, he did that before. He did that. That's so sophisticated. Yeah, and like that changes everything. I have to rethink now. And it's credited to Camille, not Prince. And then realizing the whole thing with the Black album and having once Scarlet Pussy is a peach and black uh, label with credit to Camille, and I, w- I wish you heaven would take this beat. Uh. Oh my Prince god! Prince one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, oh. we've jumped Glam Slam, but let's go. Oh, for it. Go on, let's go back to Glam Slam. <laughs> Should we go to Glam Slam? Thank you, man. I mean, we always end up singing on these podcast shows, man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I love Glam Slam, but I, c- I can see why it didn't set the charts alight. It, um, it's weird. Glam, Glam Slam, like as a phrase, it was used by journalists and. It was sort of, they, they used it in all sorts of headlines, Glam Slam, and they riffed off it for ages. It had a kind of cultural effect. Yeah. It, it, didn't, it didn't do that much in the charts, but I really enjoyed the, um, really enjoyed the 12-inch, was it Shep Pettibone? I was listening to Shep Pettibone remixes at the time because he was a big, uh, like a lot of Madonna's remixes were Shep Pettibone. So I was listening to his remixes. So there's like, I was floored by how many crossovers there were with like, with remixes, it's like they, they, they're both, they were both early adopters with William Orbit remixes as well, like at the end of the 80s, start of the 90s. So it was kind of... Well, this is one of the first times Prince brings in people from outside the fold to remix. I mean, he did it on Hot Thing, but that, that was, that was uh, Hot Thing was already only a B-side. This is where he actually gets someone to remix the A-side for the first time. Was it Junior Vasquez for Hot Thing? <laughs> think it was yeah. yeah and like you know the, the hot thing remixes are okay but they they're not they're not like they're not major um i but I re- i've always really liked the glam slam remix by shep Petterbone. yeah but, but a part of me was always like being such a purist it was like i don't even want other influences to come <laughs> into Prince's circle I, I don't even want house to impinge on prince but the way but you know i think it's a really successful remix Mm. And you, both of you heard the album by the time you heard the Glam Slam single, the remix. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, we digested the album by then. Yeah. Um, and so you were a fan of the album by the time that second single comes along? Yeah, it, it, took me about, it took me about a week of very heavy rotation until Love Sexy really opened up for me. But, but, but yeah, absolutely. I was, by the time Glam Slam's out there, I'm, Love Sexy is all I'm talking about, thinking about and dreaming about now, yeah. I really love the video. Oh, yeah. I don't think I saw that video until, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, actually, because there was, like, kind of, there was not something that was readily available, and it was just, there was so much stuff I had to catch up on that it took me those 10 years to catch up on the previous 10 years while still absorbing the 10 years 
of releases that there was because it, it wasn't like he was quiet in the 90s it's like i was trying to keep up with everything he was coming up with in the 90s while still learning everything that was coming back and glam slam remix is a weird one for me because and and it because it's sandwiched between two absolutely epic 12 inches like like i wish you heaven and alphabet street are epic 12 inches like classics glam slam is kind of falls between that wayside where i'd heard escape on the b-sides the hits of b-sides before i'd heard it as the b-side to the 12 inch so the 12 so it just became a bit piecemeal and it's sort of the it's the it's the smallest of the three yeah it's the but but I always really liked Escape just because it it kind of sounds like Prince doing his own very very warped abstracted version of sort of garage rock yeah. in a Prince way you know just that bassline is kind of like a weird surfing bassline that's the Beach Boys right yeah that, that's yeah. like um, that's like surf pop but but everything else about that song isn't because it's just like in a bizarre scaffolding of Prince's sort of current soundscape. And it's, it's nothing. It's just him just working out and doing gymnastics, and I love it. Yeah. Although a great intro, the snare drum pound on the two-hand floor. Yeah. You know, the fact that that goes from uh, Rebirth of the Flesh into the Love Sexy live shows and then into the Escape. Yeah, it, it, it's, just, it's just a bunch of sort of Prince leftovers cooked up into something that no one else could do it's not like if, if escape didn't exist we wouldn't know that we missed it but it's yeah you know it's it's a it's just a fascinating piece of brilliant nothing i really like it okay so is everybody happy to go on to i wish you heaven oh yes oh yeah. okay so i again lee you and me i think we're gonna have to settle back and listen to the reaction of those that know because when this comes out i mean i was floored years after the fact like yeah, years yeah. after the fact i listened to this and was just completely floored by this and i'd already watched live sexy as well so that take this beat stuff was just amazing to me so you guys when you first hear this 12 inch like freedom i can see you even smiling so i'm gonna say freedom go first because you would just have a smile i wore myself in chow you were the b side as well yeah i wore it out i couldn't get enough of wore it. it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> those grooves were flat <laughs> yeah and i loved i loved the video as well directed by john baptiste mondino yeah who did the video for um jill jones yeah, yeah. And, and some other stuff as well, I believe. Nana Cherry, Man Charles. Yeah, yeah. Great video. I love the video. I, I, I just love, love the, uh, the song. Yeah. And the cover of the album. Yeah, yeah. The old package, yeah. I, the couldn't, I couldn't believe that 12-inch. I could not believe it. Because I Wish You Heaven is a really lovely song. But uh, and it's, it's just one of those perfect little songs that was just... I'm thinking of the apple in the video, but it was like plucked out of the ether, right? It was like, it, it's just such a simple, simple tune. It feels like it always existed. But I mean, the production on the song is amazing anyway, but the actual, the actual DNA of the song as it appears on the album is so 
simple and perfect. It feels like it was just there waiting to fall to the right person. And another song that always strikes me like that is Love Thy Will Be Done. It's just perfect. Yeah. And, uh, right. Um, but there are some songs that seem to write themselves, like Every Day Is Like Sunday by Morrissey just seemed to write itself. Yeah. And I've always thought of I Wish You Heaven like that. But then we just got given this unbelievable, like, 11-minute slice or whatever it is of just, like, where the song is just relegated to a, just to a, become a, a nice little run-up to this unbelievable adventure. I, could, I, still, I can't believe what he did with that 12-inch. It's one of, like, his all-time greats. That, the A-side is unbelievable. It's that, it's that synth part, that... Da, 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 da. It's like, I could groove on that for ages. Yeah, and I mean, he's grooved on it. For, he did groove on it for ages in concert, but, um, but, I, I, but when it came out, part one, two, three, it, I, I was the Ten same minutes. as you, Freedom. I just played that thing over and over. I used to turn all the lights off as like a 14-year-old kid, I turned all the lights off and just grooved to that song because that was just like, that, that was just like church, that song. Mm-hmm. That 12-inch was like flickery voodoo church. I love it. Well, I mean, it, it, it is straight gospel, you know, that kind of heaven, yeah. And then, you know, the guitar solo, say hello to my little friend, the Blue Angel, and then, you know, no, no, one, no, one, may, no one plays guitar solos like that, like the one in Bat Dance, those are just ultimate, like, Prince tone. Mm. Uh, they're so, like, they are so crunchy, those solos. And, and then you'd go, and then, so you'd get that middle section, and then the third section, Take This Beat, was just, like, pretty much the James Brownsiest thing he ever did, I think. Mm. Which, again, with that parts one, two, and three, like, he's doing that, like, he's continuing that homage thing of, like, separating up like this one big thing saying so, you know they're not like sim- it's not three different remixes they're just like cuts from this same epic jam and this is how it's meant to be played Except he put them all on one slice on one side so like you were just guided through it from like sweetness and light and then suddenly you're into this new world of just testifying and then you started off with i wish you heaven and then by the end of it he's just like doing you from behind man I mean, it's like, it's like a, who, who does that in 10 minutes? Prince Rogers Nelson and no one else. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's sweetness and light. It's funky religion. And then it's just sex in a hedge, man. It, it's it's probably, it goes into, you know, like, it's, like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's pretty pop, Mavis Staples and Bob George in the same track. You know? <laughs> it, it, like, that, that I... Honestly, that one I would just I would just play that over and over and over, and I would just feel power from it, total power. I think it's also interesting that that although it's parts one, two, and three on the CD, it's not tracked. On yeah. the CD, there's just two tracks. There's I wish you heaven parts one, two, and three as one track, you know, as one big ten minute thing, and then you've got Scarlet Pussy as just a separate thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's two. We're talking about two. Two tracks, yeah. Yeah. Um, the A side and the B side, that's right. Uh, and, but honestly, but it was also like, it, it, to me, it's just like how Prince can just go, at any time, if I feel like it, a song can morph into a whole new concept. A song can become a mini album if I want. Yeah. And that's what he did just, that a lot. 
<clears throat> he did that a lot, and he just picks up "I Wish You Heaven" and just goes, "Let's play with this now." It's like the song, you know, the song is now just an excuse to go somewhere. Yeah, I think one day somebody has to draw the Prince music tree because his songs quite clearly stem like he has these kind of musical veins from which you can tell one song come out of playing something else live, and then there's these other things that are just seeds a new branch like love sexy a new branch but then you know around the world in a day a new branch but you can see these like the songs some of them like the early the early mix of daddy pop you know has got lay down your funky weapon in it so it's kind of like you can see how daddy pop came out of rehearsing New, uh, um, new power generation. generation and you can see how you know nine to five people no, so uh, you can see how rebirth of the flesh becomes glam sam escape but so i'd love one day to see that tree in its kind of all its glory I, I, uh, yeah, homework <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, like scarlet pussy and one plus one plus one is three are both clearly on the erotic city tree you know so it's. I, I don't. I never think of Scarlet Pussy as particularly related to Erotic City. I know you, you said that you you know you linked them, but I, I don't hear that so much. It's the pitch shift. Fo- it's the pit, It's the minimalist groove, pitch shift vocals, some pitch shift guitars that I really, to me, tonally like the kind of, you know, um, teamed with content. It's like. He found us like he's found quite clearly a sexy sound. So if I want to work sexy, this is a good sonic field to be in, as opposed to say kind of groove map. Yeah, I, I I know what you're saying. I think Erotic City is such a slam. It's it's unrelenting. Where I was, or Scarlet Pussy is like a really kind of prowling thing, you know. And I'm not just getting that from the cats and the dogs, uh, <laughs> but it is kind yeah. of like. It's got, I mean, Scarlet Pussy is really a red... It's a walk through the red light district for me. Which would, uh, to be quite honest, it'd be a really good... Be the, uh, if Scarlet Pussy was an A-side, Rock Card in a Funky Place would be a good B-side. Absolutely. That, that, there you go. They, they've both got that sleaziness to them. <laughs> I think erotic... <laughs> city, ero- they, they are, they're super sleazy, but they're super sexy. I'm happy to move that to another branch. <laughs> <laughs> What can I say, folks? You know, I like to get in your head, man. Exactly. No, this is a great. This is definitely the uh, eighteen and eighteen and over version. <laughs> <laughs> so freedom. So when you flip the twelve inch, this is still the eight. This is still <laughs> eighteen and over. So when you flip the twelve inch, I didn't mean it like that. And you heard Scarlet Pussy for the first time, <laughs> like. Oh, like, what did you think of that? Because you're still like a teenager at this point, right? No, I mean, I used to listen to George Clinton a lot, and it reminded me a lot of George Clinton in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was very Clinton esque. And I like that kind of deep bass to it. Deep yeah. groove. It's just, it's just a good song. I, I get it. Yeah, and it's. Because a lot of those Clint, uh, like funkadelic songs, they use the pitch shift, like and as well, they use the tape print uh, on backing vocals to create characters as well. It's 
Oh, you might have moved it back on. Sorry, sorry, Andy. Uh, it might have been moved back onto the Erotic City tree because um, Erotic City is inspired by Funkadelic. So okay, oh, okay, okay. I, I think I think this might have been, you know, moved. This is going to be debated for a while now. <laughs> I think you know the Funkadelic tree is a big tree. I mean, um, yeah. But I think definitely what Scarlet Pussy has is the obsession with cats and dogs. Mm. Which is very George. Uh, yes. mm. Mm. Um, and la 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 he 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 as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, control? Yeah. But yeah, I think um, no, it's it it just occupies a different soundscape for me. But like um, Scarlet uh, Pussy. I'm just trying to think what it's like. We've got Andy singing now. It doesn't take that much, Lee. It really doesn't. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's kind, you know what else it's got that's very George in it? Is that spoken introduction. The storytelling. The storytelling and the kind of... Just, once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time. But you could, you could imagine George doing that. He'd do it differently. He'd do it more languid. But it's, it's very George to, to tell this little nursery rhyme story, you know. Do you know the weirdest thing is that now saying that that puts it on the same tree as the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've always thought that. I've yeah. thought that. Once upon a time. Yeah, in the, the land in the plenty. Oh, we're gonna have all these Prince fans drawing trees now. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's they're, they're good trees to draw. There's there's always crossover and playfulness, and again, like Frank Zappa would always, he uh, talked about his uh, his whole oeuvre as I yeah. think art stroke object complex or something, I forget now, but he was always about cross-referencing his work and mm -hmm. the Beatles did it. If you look at Glass Onion, cross-referencing different yeah. songs. I told you about Strawberry Field, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Walrus was cool. And Prince picked up from that massively and he would sew allusions to previous songs or little phrases that recur in other songs so that you, if you got into it with the right ears, the deeper you go, the more connections you hear. Loud music from a band plays a song called Soul Psychedelicide. Absolutely. So yeah. you can go, you can go secular. Uh, sorry, you can go religious with the ladder. Once upon a time in the land of sin and plenty, and then you can go, you can go secular with Once Upon a Time in the Land of Fear. And you know that Prince. There's no way Prince wasn't thinking of that when he did it. Mm. One of the raps on the Symbol album is all the tracks. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's in the tracks. And then the same with um, the rap in Push, where he goes yeah. through the track listing of Diamonds and Pearls. Mm -hmm. So like Horny Pony was still on the album. Yeah, and it's listed because it's like Horny Pony, and then obviously it was, wasn't on the album. So like he was always brilliant at stitching together mm -hmm. to make a big crossword for the listeners. And, yeah. like, you know, the more you, the more you know it, the more you go... Even with the uh, MPG operator, you know, other samples may include Housequake, blah, 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 you know, so always clever. And the end of musicology, like, okay, so Tool? I think I think we're pretty universally on the page that, that I Wish You Heaven single is one of, it's up there with one of his best. It's if, a monster. It's a monster. It's, it's, a, it's an achievement. You know, to have something that great be a side note in your career is, right? That says something. That would be the, the, the crowning achievement of some people's career. And with Prince, it's kind of like a little-known side note. 
Well, I've always said that like there are whole unreleased tracks from the 80s that are better than unreleased tracks from the 80s, bootleg tracks that are better than other people's entire careers, in my view. Mm. Well, oh, uh, there was was something that was, uh, that reminds me of something. Love Sexy. I think when I, when I, when I finally heard uh, In All My Dreams, I actually, the first thing I thought of was like, wow, that's, he took that idea and made love sexy. Like that kind of, to me, that the, the, the really, I find them similar tracks. You know, they're just like these kind of avant-garde grooves that then just suddenly at the middle of that, you know, that, oh, little Will Whittle, you got me tripping, tripping all over the floor. It's, just, it's very similar to Lisa, you take the side of the brush and I'll take the train. Yeah, the, the, the very speed vocal going in and out. It is one of my favourite type of Prince tracks where the, the, the pretext for the song or the, or the, the point of the, you, you get a great song and then it, it just becomes a pretext to just play, 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 play. And mm. another, another version, uh, sorry, another example of that is I could never take the place of your man because if it just stopped at the guitar solo and did another chorus, you'd be fine with it because it's an absolutely magnificent song. But no, no he just goes on a journey with it and then comes back and you're just like, what? And the way he stretched that out live was just crazy. So, um, speaking of stretching those grooves out live, the Love Sexy Tour, I believe you both went, right? My memory is so foggy. <laughs> 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 I'm losing my memory, but I went, yes. Yeah. Uh, if you can went, remember the Love Sexy Tour, you weren't really there. <laughs> <laughs> Was it music? Was it a trip? Who can tell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went, I went for three nights. Oh, man. Uh, I, got my, I think I got my tickets through Controversy at the time. They were doing that magazine, yeah. Priority tickets, the fan magazine, yeah. And uh, so you went three nights at Wembley, huh? Three nights at Wembley, yeah. Please tell us, please tell us. Uh, What from what I can remember, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. It's like in two parts. First part was like the 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 the, the dark side, and the second part was like the uh, the spiritual side. And the pivotal point was anesthesia. And um, yeah, the Thunderbirds sort of like going round and cat and scenery on top dancing on it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I had tickets for the Sign of the Times concert that famously got cancelled the year before, oh, totally and I bet right. you did too, Freedom. I did, yeah, but um, yeah, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So my first gig was Love Sexy. I only went one night, and after that tour, I would I used to go to like five nights on the trot after that. But um, but for Love Sexy. We didn't have great seats, but they were made a lot better by the fact that he was playing in the round. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, I, I, re- I remember really distinctly that we were very near the speaker that they used for the um, sirens, siren effect on Bob George in the first half, because that really blasted at me. So I, I can remember that, like, you know, there were speakers all, all over the place because it's a concert. And, but some of these sound effects were very uh, direction orientated. And then, I mean, oh my goodness. If you've seen Love Sexy, I'm not trying to pull rank. I'm really not, guys. But no, no, just, it is what it is. That's fine. It was, it, was a great, it was a great thing to see. I have very, 
I, I, I just have memories of colour and sound and um, just, it, it, you know, it was a really transcendent gig, as you've probably, you know, yeah. picked up from, from watching the Live Sexy uh, release and everything. But I remember that on my night, he did bring out Mavis and George as well in the second oh, and so I, I, I was already quite a big Parliament Funkadelic fan, but I'm not sure I was putting it all together. I wasn't quite sure what I was seeing. And then I didn't really know Mavis, but what I knew was that there was just like stuff going on that was just opening my mind up, opening and opening. And it was, it was very ecstatic, you know, without the use of margaritas or ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was the first, I'll have to say, it's the first time I kind of got a peek at Prince Life because somebody bought me the VHS for my birthday because it was like the first birthday after I became... That I was like, I'm a Prince fan. I'm a Prince fan. So they got me, and my bro- my brother got me both parts on VHS. And I think I watched. Weirdly enough, I watched part two first, like which is actually how it's meant to go in the concert because I part one on the VHSs was the second half of the concert. Yeah, they marketed the second. They marketed the second part as the first part just for the casual fan because that had all the hits on it. Yeah, yeah, and so I got part two first and was like oh, I'm seeing this in reverse order and then I and when I watched it in like when I watched part two as well I was like well actually it really works like that and then I subsequently find out that that's actually how you meant to watch it and I was just like I have to watch every tour that's I think watching that VHS and they're not being that much officially released live I think there was the, the Purple Rain and the Sign of the Times movie, and at that point it was like, you know, he'd already come around the Diamonds and Pearls tour, um, so there was a lot to go back and ingest, and it was just like, oh, it's so different live than it is on record that this is worth. I think what's great about that tour is it's like, Sign of the Times was clearly so majestic live. So the tour was so kind of um, everything in the right place. And again, it's got that encyclopedia. Sorry, encyclopedia. Um, kind of, it's got a majesty about it. And it's, that's why the critics love it and they're right to love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, got, it's got that solidity. It's, you can see everything that's come before it and everything that Prince is doing with it. Love Sexy is just mental. Love Sexy is where, you know, Love Sexy is where all of that stuff, he, he's starting to, like, fall, make it fall apart in an ecstatic way. And it, it's teetering on the brink. He looks really like a prophet. He's got his hair down to his arse, really. And, yeah. he, and, and he looks absolutely possessed in that performance. And that... Yeah, there's so much going on. So much going on on stage. You couldn't focus on anything, any one thing. It's just like... Yeah. Load of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're watching. You're like watching. You're kind of watching one man just burn himself out gloriously, and it, and it, and it, it's it's like it falls apart in a brilliant way. The trans- like the transitions as well. Like there were so many little musical parts that didn't actually that were part of med- med- medleys and stuff like that. Like little bit of dance on during Sheila E's drum solo and little bits of the glamorous life as they're like as they're walking around it's there was so much of it that it really set me up well for when I looked back 
uh, all of these albums because this is, you know, I got this at such an early part of the journey that actually when I started looking back and listening to albums, um, it was almost always like, oh my God, you know, like, and I saw Sign of the Times, the movie before I saw, before I listened to Sign of the Times, the album. So it's kind of interesting that actually Live Sex, uh, Love Sexy Live, I was really disappointed with Sister on the album because the version of Sister Live, that guitar and... Oh, I, what do you think of the album version of Sister these days? Um, I do like you prefer it. the live version? It's fun. It's fun. And, it, and, and it's that kind of like, it inherits that like kind of rockabilly space that Prince does and did really well in, in the early days. But it still doesn't give me the same. I still don't think of it as a definitive version. Because he played really? it. Because he played it as kind of thrash punk almost on Love Sexy, yeah. right, Live? It's the way he sung it as well. Like, you know, like on the album, it's like, no, this is never made after anyone else but me. But, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. But, and, but the way he, yeah, but the way he attacked, like, I would say he, the way he attacked it live is, that was like, the lyrics are actually, you know, like, he's kind of being manipulated and there's some kind of anger and that he's like hard done by in the song. And actually the way he delivers it on the album is just like, kind of like, Oh, this is a really outrageous tale. Ha ha ha. Whereas in live, it's like part of that story arc of the concert of it's like part of his residual anger. And it's like, it's such a, amazing performance that like to me it's the it's the, that's how the song is it still is in my head okay I, I i mean i love the album version i love both versions but i know exactly what you're saying yeah but, but i mean again like i think he really started this on the parade tour way like if you didn't know automatic if, if yeah. you were if you if you watched the parade tour you might think that automatic was just a you know, just a riff that had been thrown into a concert for a minute, but no, it's a nine-minute track. <laughs> and so, like, he, that, like, that's where he started really, uh, really sequencing songs live and just throwing away a verse or two to move on to the next thing, to move on to the next thing, to move on. And, like, Love Sex is amazing because he, um, like, it, it's kind of his most successful absolute race through his back catalogue. It's like a race to get to where he wants to, which is, Bob George crisis, anesthesia, catharsis, and then, and then reborn in the second half. But the, the way he stitched those songs together from his back catalogue in the first half of the Love Sexy Concert. A narrative, yeah. It's an incredible piece of orchestration, really. Oh, I, th I, th I think it's incredible. And that version of Anastasia is just otherworldly. The way he screams on it, like, is to this day... I've watched it a million times and I get chills every time. That's another thing about the whole Love Sexy live experience was how I've never been a religious person, but you could feel that everybody was included in Prince's virgin, version of religion back then mm. in a way that wasn't true later down the line when it yeah. had become dogmatic and he, w he was taking from scripture. But in Love Sexy, it was like, 
you could feel like I'm not really religious, but I get what he's talking about because it's an open-ended creativity. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing you're. I mean, it's a the open comparison that a lot of people do with Prince's catalog is obviously between Love, Sexy, and the Rainbow Children, and the Rainbow Children originally being released as a one MP3 start to finish journey, which I would admit that's the way it should be listened to, just like Love, Sexy, and they are both reactions to. Again, it's a reaction to what came before it, the kind of production in Raven to the Joy Fantastic and what was to be high in MPG Music Club. You know, the, they were both... What gets me through both of them is they are both Prince-inspired. Like, uh, both Prince absolutely committed, not questioning, going forth. Now, one I can go... Love Sexy I can go all in on. Uh, because I believe in the words as well as the music, Rainbow Children, I can go 75% in on because there's some of the mu some of the stuff I can kind of go, oh yeah, but there's that 25% that is just, I'm not down for. So it's kind of like Love Sexy is interesting like that. And it's, it's something that's so joyous. I can go, it's religious, but I can go 100% into it. And there is not many things that you can say that like the atheists can really. <laughs> love, love, love Sexy just feels like the most inclusive, personal, personal revelatory yeah. invitation to just do your thing. And the Rainbow Children very much doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Rainbow Children is like velvet rope religion. You know, like, yeah. it, like there's a, it's religion with a VIP room as opposed to, you know, love sexy feeling like everybody, if you exist, you're included, you know. And I think that is, that is something, not to say that I don't like the Rainbow Children, so I'm still 75% in on how amazing some of it is, but uh, like Love Sexy is just I don't know, I mean like a song like Anastasia, like when you're a kind of closeted 15 year old and some of the, uh, those opening lines have you ever been someone to play with someone so much of take anyone, boy or girl you know, like it's just like, someone said that no, right? Someone said that, like this this guy, like who's naked on the cover, you know, who's just, you know, like who I always thought, you know, like I always, even with those lyrics, I always think of, I always thought as Prince as a straight guy, you know, like like heterosexual guy, and like I never questioned that. It was just like this guy, you know, this ladies' man in beautiful, flawless makeup, uh, lace, high heels. And, you know, like, if you look at the um, some of the Love Sexy work, I mean, he's got drag queen makeup. Yeah, right, the, the, the concert program was amazing. The concert program, he's got, which is behind Lee now. I was say. Yeah, it's, it's basically drag queen makeup. And, but, and, and he's singing lines like, have you ever wanted to place with someone so much you'll take anyone, boy or girl? You know, like, and I have to say... For me, as a like closeted teenager growing up in a religious household, that was just like it blew my mind. That's it. It's, it seemed like a license to be whoever you wanted to be. You could take a little bit of yeah. what you fancied from Prince, and he would just. It was an invitation to just not worry about that stuff, right? And yeah, it was great, and it was not a sexual thing. It was about love. 
Yeah, so I, I, it was even a sexuality thing. It was just like about because it was about the closeness of anyone, and, and it was just like you know, there was plenty of bits and bobs that kind of that I saw that spoke to like the sexuality of it, but like this was something that was talking about the love of it, and uh, and it was just like that's just crazy. That's the the fact that he did that was just crazy, and and what was arguably to that day his most religious album. Yeah. And then you get um, <clears throat> going back to that musical portrait on the BBC from 89. There was a fan on there, if you remember, saying uh, he just just interviewed after the Love Sexy show saying, well, you know, you've got all these people in this arena and they're all singing. God is love. Girls and boys love God above. And you would never yeah. you would never do that. But with Prince, you do that at that point, And it's OK. And it just feels like it just feels you're all vibing on something, even if you don't. Believe in God. I mean, I'd sing that in church and roll my eyes, but like, like if I sing that in church, I'd roll my eyes, but like, you know, like, but like I'd sing that at a Prince concert and I'm just like, because... I mean, it's rubbish, isn't it? It's Christian rock of the worst kind, except somehow it ain't. It's somehow it's brilliant. You know what it is, is because um, you can look at it from, you can look at it from both sides. God is love, love is God. Um, you can look at it from the point of view of uh, somebody who's a believer, who says... God exists and he is love. Therefore, you know, like, and therefore it's the same thing. Or you can look at it from the point of view of the atheist is like love. God is just what they're using to, uh, the believers are using to explain love. So love God, that's exactly. what they're trying to get at. Like it's. Well, it was just Prince translating a feeling into something that everybody <laughs> could get behind uh, and take their own meaning from. And, there's um there's a bit in the Love Sexy uh, concerts where he's got I think it's uh, near the end of the concert there's a um, a flag on stage and it says no war you know yeah and like this is just a brilliant example of if anybody else did that you'd just go oh god it's Bono isn't it mm. and like no war <laughs> it's it, 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 would, it, would feel, it would feel so it would feel so nothing. It would feel like end poverty now. Yeah, all right, Bono. But when Prince puts up a thing saying no war in that context, you just get the you get the huge hippie playground that he was operating in, and it means just those simple words mean something totally different. Yeah, coming from Prince at that time than they could have meant from anyone else. Well, I mean, he was so committed to every note and so committed to every dance move and so committed to every stage presence that nothing seemed like empty tokenism. Exactly. And so I, what, what I mean is the words themselves sound childish. Love is God, yeah. God is love. But, but nothing else about it is. And he, he, it was all about alchemy of turning those simple things it's a huge powerful emotions i've always argued that being a prince fan is a religion in itself and oh. experiences of tours and live performances it is a religious experience yeah. i think the bible's easier to study <laughs> i think i think that's true i mean like that's true of lots of you know lots of bands you could have a uh, right right now someone's recording a grateful dead podcast guarantee it and uh you know, there's there's other bands that I uh, that I'm really into, but this is you know this is what big big uh, personalities and bodies of work inspire this kind of fandom. But with Prince, the religion was baked into the message as well as everything else, and it got, yeah, it got I agree. different levels. He was always always talking about the big subjects in life from yeah. the start of his career onwards. 
But at the same time, he was singing Scarlet Pussy. Of course. <laughs> well, but we said it before. He starts off with I Wish You Haven't Part One and look at the end of it. Yeah. You know. If you wanted to, do, if you wanted to we can slam all comers. <laughs> like, yeah, and then like Sister's Ugly, she <laughs> eats pizza in the backyard. It's like, hold on a minute, weren't you talking about I Wish You Haven't a minute ago? Yeah. And like, so pr- Prince didn't need to, Prince never separated it, you yeah. know, at his best. It was always, it was always, I'm going to give you everything on the plate and you can make up your own ideas. It's you have your own mind about it. Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know, music. All in that music. Yeah. Saturday night at the party and Sunday morning at church. It's like it's all in the same groove. He, well, he, he always stood on a lot of crossroads at his best and he, get, and he just transmitted all of those sort of, uh, you know, big, big human impulses at the same time. And you're, that's why, you know. Yeah. He was pretty good. He was definitely So for each of you, where do you find Love Sexy in the span of Prince's career? Like, where do you place it in the span of his career? As in... uh, I... I, um, Sorry, I'll let Freedom go because I'm just yapping. (laughs) Freedom, where do you... Like, when you place this, isn't you like, say... As in, marks out of 10 or, well, not so much marks out of 10, but as in, where's, where does it stand in, in, in its importance for you as opposed to, you know, like, say, Purple Rain versus something like uh, Purple and Gold? <laughs> like, Purple and Gold. Where on the spectrum? <laughs> between Purple Rain and Purple and Gold. Like, where, do, where does this stand for you? Is this, like, is this more important, to, like, to me, this is more important to me than Purple Rain. So, where does it stand for you? I don't think it's more important than Purple Rain. I think Purple Rain was like the peak, the pivotal point of his career. Um, Love Sexy is kind of the last album of his incredible 80s run, I think. Um, after that, it, it was set in trends up until that point and after that it was following it wasn't being as innovative as he was during the 80s up until love sexy after that he was just following trends i think in my opinion do you think that starts with batman or starts with batman yeah. yeah it starts with batman onwards we're definitely on the same chapter if not quite the same page i mean i i th- i agree i i think I think Love Sexy was his last truly, the real A-list, the real run, the, real, the last of the golden, golden run. And I love Batman as I, you know, I think it's underrated. I think it's aged brilliantly. But it's, <laughs> Batman is like the top album of the next tier for me. But Love Sexy is where the wave breaks. It's, yeah. and, and like, that's what I mean about falling apart. I think the production is so abstractified you get those long grooves where a million ideas are hurtling through. You get him absolutely burning out on stage. That's what it looked like, a prophet burning out with, had to just disseminate this message. And that's where the wave breaks and he becomes something else afterwards. And then uh, I, I fully believe that Love Sexy is his last crucially, crucially great album of an unbroken run from Dirty Mind to Love Sexy. John Lee? Uh, I'm on the same page as 
at both of them, but I feel I need to go back and do more homework on this album. I think I need to listen to it more because it's one of the ones where I just listen. I don't appreciate it enough, I don't think, and I think I just listen more to the singles than the whole album. I think I need to listen to the whole album in one go more often. Lee, I sometimes think we're slowly breaking you down from a 90s voice. Yeah, I know. Chopin <laughs> chisels away and you've come with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I, 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 do think, I do think we're correct to do that, but it's interesting to me that <laughs> you, you feel, it feels like you're someone who actually suspects that that's where you're going. I, I might be wrong. Yeah, I know. It's like, I don't, but, but it's interesting how Prince fans define themselves and split themselves into 80s and 90s. It's, you know... It's, it's always been that way of people say, oh, well, I'm a Prince fan, but sometimes they break it down to, oh, I'm an 80s Prince fan, I'm a 90s Prince fan. But yeah, I'm definitely uh, being converted. Oh, uh, I, th- I, think you could, I think you can be, uh, say, like an 80s Prince fan or an 90s Prince fan and still love the other decade as well. I think part of it is... Part of it is about personally when you become a fan. So those albums, those first albums that convert you are kind of more important because you, because you have the memory of discovering them as they come out. Like, this is why I kind of like turn to you guys with, in terms of how the reception is, because I'm looking back at them rather than, uh, discovering, you know, like, cause gold experience. I remember like listening to all the bootlegs first and like, I'm, I, you know, like I waited outside our price on the morning before, you know, like the doors opened, uh, you know, before getting the CD. Uh, you know, I remember those albums. I remember Chaos and Disorder dropping with no warning, but like Love Sexy is something that people were telling me was great and were pointing to before I went and discovered it. Um, Love Sexy is kind of interesting. I agree with you in the sense that it is the break of a wave. I think it's the last album where he tries to find out who he is. After that, he knows who he is. It's a good way of putting it. I think, which is, because Parade is searching, you know, like, so he's going 100% in that direction. I love Sexy, he's going 100% in that direction. Around the world of the day, he's going 100% in that direction. I think after Love Sexy, he knows how to take all the elements and why those things sound quite consistent, I would say consistent rather than uh, samey, because he knows, from then on, he knows where to where he wants to use the jazz. I think he, he takes all of those elements and for the next day, decade, uses them when and where. They're no longer, kind. Of, he's no longer going, Miles Davis is a new thing, you know, like. I think, I think where Prince carried on doing amazing stuff was on the stage, and I underrated that somewhat. Yeah, I um, uh, you know, going back and watching a heck of a lot of footage in the last few years and reevaluating some of the concerts that I was less interested in attending so many gigs, but seeing seeing what he did on stage, that's where he kept his freshest, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, you know, I I, I constantly go back and reevaluate post Love Sexy Prince, post Eighties Prince. Yeah, but I still and I find lots to love in there, but I don't find a crucial. I don't find like a vitalness to his work that I find from the eighties. And like, you know that that well, I 
Yeah, big subject, big subject. I, I don't want to, I'm not going to... Right, save it for the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not sitting here dissing Prince for the heck of it at all, but... Um, it's not a diss, it's not a diss, because, you, because you're not saying it's, you're, not, you're comparing it to, like, well, well, okay, let's iconic... Put it I, I think that I think that truly, truly great artists often have a run where they're so hot, and that the the best of them, the best, you know, very very few artists get a run as good as Prince got in the eighties. It's very rare. Mm. It's extremely rare. And like, if he'd done nothing nothing ever since, it would still be amazing. But um, it's it's so hard to sustain that sort of work for so long. And I think, you know, I, I, I feel like that's where he burnt his brightest and, and where it all makes sense to me, where like really every track in the eighties is kind of, of a story to me that makes sense. And then I don't hear anything in those songs that jars or bumps me, or it doesn't, it doesn't feel like just songs. It feels like a tapestry of excellence. Mm, it's kind of interesting because, like, I guess because I didn't listen to it as it came out, sometimes there were things, like, and maybe because I'd heard the live version first and kind of was was digging that. And like, Housequake is definitely one of those things where it took me a while to appreciate the studio version because the live version is so so good from that side of the times movie it is so good it is but the studio version is so rarefied the studio version is so controlled and I, I, that's that's one of his deepest cuts ever the studio version of housequake for me yeah, i know this is this a part of it was actually was you was the one that made me start to appreciate the kind of the tone, you know, like the tone <laughs> You will listen to 80s Prince. <laughs> I've done the same thing with the Symbol album to him this time. <laughs> um, it's. Um, I, ju I just it, think he was operating at a different level for a number of years. And that's. And, and I can't. I can't. Repeated listens don't, don't ever erode from that opinion for me. Although I find more to admire in other eras than I originally, yeah, originally thought quite often. But no, no, nothing like if you wiped out all of Prince's post eighties stuff, I'd still have the jams I needed. I, that's oh, what, okay. You know, I, I judge Prince Prince very harshly because he gave me what I would consider like hermetically sealed perfection <laughs> for so long. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty. Um, like it's interesting that I know there's a lot of crossover with when you got into print, not you know when somebody gets into an artist. Yeah, that can often be an era that they absolutely love. But like, you know, he he didn't really pick up new critical acclaim from new critics coming through. Uh, it, um, beyond the eighties, I mean, not the musicology. Yeah, yeah, I, okay, but but there was there was lots of respect and there was lots of love, but he wasn't like considered a, a new wave of critics who were only encountering him in the 90s and beyond that wasn't where the story of music was at he wasn't no 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 because i'm very i'm very aware that like some of the parts where i really are my favorite there's not it's not even it's not even that it's not his best reviews that there's open derision to some of the stuff that he's doing 
and I understand, like I understand in, like if I'm talking about Prince in the world in in respect to um, his importance and the work that that's important to the history of music, obviously Purple Rain, Sign of the Times, you know. But if I'm talking about from my point of view of what I connect with, what means the most to me, and what I emotionally get the most out of, then it's from Love Sexy onwards. No, I get that, of course. I w- but again, I wouldn't disparage, uh, you know, no man should asunder the joy that another man's found, right? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I really like that. But, uh, but, 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 uh, you know, but that, this, this is the, con- you know, he fas- constantly fascinates me enough to go yeah. back and, uh, and listen to the stuff that I, you know, don't consider his best work. I still go back and reevaluate all the time. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right, Chopin. I, I just don't connect with those bits as intensely by a long way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, and it's, I, I kind of wouldn't expect you to because it's almost like I hadn't seen all the tricks up his sleeve. Like, say, like, 90s is like kind of like where, where he's kind of worked out all of the tricks that he's got to play. Well, I'm hearing them first time diamonds and pearls symbol so when i'm going back i'm going oh that's where that comes from whereas uh-huh. if you're listening you're like you're hearing it as and when it that yeah, trick it, it, almost it, like falling in love with a cover version first yes and i i get that i um yeah it, it was hard the other way around hey freedom <laughs> <laughs> it was hard but um it's funny because i do think in his last years he was starting to really find new ways into evolving, into aging his music more gracefully and more, uh, more honestly and authentically. And that's why I think Artificial Age was fantastic. There was loads of stuff from his last few albums that really, really surprised the hell out of me, actually. So as much as we could talk about this for another five hours, probably. About <laughs> late the lockdown. <laughs> exactly. And all the places that that will take you, like, I don't think you can talk. I think what this has proved is you can't talk about one album in isolation. There's, yeah, there's, vein, there's a vein of creativity that runs through Prince's work which is why I think we're also interested in the full journey, even if it's in places where we're actually, it's not really something we're feeling. It's, it's just, you have to know every fruit on the tree. <laughs> um, thank you, Ray and Andy for joining us. It's thank been you. educational. I'm going to yeah. go and listen to Alphabet Street now. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Chopin, Andy. Uh, thank, I like to like shout out to the Peach and Black people. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm um, all the other podcasters, Nightchild, Donna Missy, Michael Dean, uh, Casey Rain. Casey Rain, yeah. All of them. Violet Reality, uh, Prince Podcast, Muse of the Pharaoh, Peach yeah. and Black. I think I've got everyone. The list goes on uh, and on and on. Uncle Barry, yep. I think that's it. Just proves how much you can talk about Prince. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a million podcasts now. Prince said it himself, man. It ain't over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>